You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Hey, folks! Welcome back to the latest Mountain West Wire podcast, talking all things. What else? Mountain West football. Interesting weekend, week four. As always, mwcwire.com, Twitter, mwcwire, if you want our um, tepid takes, maybe hot takes at times. Facebook, we're getting there, and joined by Matt Kennerly as well. Are you ready to go? Week four is in the, bo- in the books. Yeah, let's do it. A little bit better week this time around. Yeah, there was more than uh, two victories, and, and this time um, it wasn't one wasn't guaranteed. But yes, a much better week for some teams, not others, right? And we can jump right into that. Some others, you know. Let's just get to it. We'll talk. We'll interject some news and stuff as we go along with the show. But let's just get on to it. Started Friday night. Boise State versus Virginia. Virginia's been pretty terrible the past couple years. Am I right? They have a new head coach, Bronco Mendehall, year two. They've not been good. They've been rebuilding after the Mike London era. That's being nice, rebuilding. (laughs) They... Beat the crap out of Boise State, forty-two to twenty-three. There's no other words to put around it. They were outplayed, possibly some will say outcoached, and there's real issues with this program right now. Because going through reading some recaps and doing some research, did you know they're only five and five in their last ten games? I did not realize that. No, they are. Yep, they are five and five. Because you go back to last year, they lost to a Wyoming. In the conference play, they lost to Baylor. They lost to Air Force to end the season. They might have, we'll get to this piece by Dan Wolken in a few minutes here. He does a week like misery index and kind of focuses on Boise. But Boise hasn't had a losing record in October, which is a potentially possibility since I think 2001, I want to say, in October. Uh-huh. So things aren't looking too good, right? Is it... Are we overreacting about this that they're that bad, or is it just because, like, Wolken says, well, you don't have Chris Peterson anymore, and things are cyclical because Nebraska's not very good right now, and they used to be a full-force dominant juggernaut. Miami has been up and down since, what, Dennis Erickson and early 2000s there. So it happens, right? So there, I think there are two different ways of looking at this because, yes, they are 5-5 five and five in the last 10 games, but – you still can't ignore the fact that three of those losses broke by one score or less, including the game a couple weeks ago against Washington State. What I think is a little more disconcerting about this game is that, you know, we had we had a sense of what their strengths and what their weaknesses might be, you know, having seen them in the first three weeks. And in a lot of respects, those weaknesses really came home to roost and whatever strengths we thought they had just simply weren't enough to make up the difference. You know, the running game, which, you know, had been a little bit sluggish, had probably its worst performance by far so far. You know, Alex Madison, who I think we all had a lot of expectations for coming into the year to be the, you know, the next Jeremy McNichols, seven carries, 11 yards, you know. And then Robert Mahone, who led the team with 21 yards, only had three carries. It was, you know, a situation where Brett Rippon and then Montel Cozart got forced into 
you know, having to throw from behind. And I don't think Boise's ever the kind of team that wants to, you know, be in a position where they're having to throw to catch up. You know, they want to be balanced and they just don't have it right now. A couple things on that. I don't know what to deal with Robert Mahone because he had here's the thing. The game was tied seven to seven. We knew going into we talked about in the preview that look for him to get some more carries. He like you said, he led the team in rushing on three carries, three straight running plays. He had two of the three longest rushing yards, which happened to all be eight yards. He had two and Cozart had one. Game's tied at seven. Three carries, does well. Nowhere to be seen the rest of the game. Everybody's wondering, where's he at? What's going on? He had three good carries. And it could be if they're behind, but if but they were tied at that point. They're still trying to give the ball to Madison, give it to Wopen, who only had three carries. They gave the ball. You see how many non They gave the ball to Jake Rowe, tight end. Cedric Wilson, wide receiver. They gave the ball to, on a run. These are all running plays. C.T. Thompson, freshman wide receiver. Rippin and Cozart all had carries out of the backfield. Four non-running backs had carries mm-hmm. in this game. Why is Mahone not getting the ball when he's moving the ball well and the only guy who showed any resemblance of a running game? And, I mean, I think another thing that stands out is, you know, we talked a lot about the secondary having been pretty solid, at least in the early going. You know, other than the, you know, kind of fourth quarter collapse against Wazoo, you know, they held Troy in tech and they held New Mexico, you know, the, the throwbos. We'll get to them in a little bit. They held them in check, too. But Virginia kind of picked them apart. You know, Kirk Bankert ended up having five plays of more than 15 yards through the air, including three touchdowns of 30, 27, and 64 yards. That's not something that I don't think a lot of Boise State fans and, you know, myself in particular, you know, I thought going into this game that they might be able to keep the running game in check and force Bankert into a couple of turnovers. And it just didn't happen the way I envisioned it. But Bankert had a lot better game, you know, 19 of 29, 273 yards and those three touchdowns than I thought he would. You know what I mean? Yeah, he. I knew. I figured he'd move the ball a little bit, but much better than I thought. And this Boise defense is young, too. So eventually, I guess it's at the point where their young defense, they're playing whatever you want to think about Virginia, probably have, if you look at the recruiting numbers, probably better talent, I would say, at a high school, whatever you want to put into that. But they just got beat. Four plays that were all touchdowns were over 25 yards or more. Mm-hmm. They gave up too many big plays. They ran the ball 40 times, and he had a – who wasn't there for 93 yards? He had Jordan Ellis, 93 yards. They just – Boise's defense couldn't do anything right. And then also, real quick on Mahone, I didn't realize this, he also had a blocked punt in the fourth quarter. Hmm. So, I don't – like, it, it was just a mess because Rippin, people – kind of crap on him, but he moved the ball pretty well. He probably better percentage because he's only 24-42, but 285 yards, interception, no touchdowns, which is a concern, but you can't really blame him for the loss when you're not scoring touchdowns and you can't run the ball and you're forced into the throw. The offensive line is a mess. And yeah, Cedric Wilson had 209 yards and it, you got to have a, like you said, a balance running the ball and protecting the quarterback and protecting and making lanes for the guys to run. This is, I don't know what the deal is, but there are this, like Rippin, or not Rippin, but, um, excuse me, Harson said there's going to be a lot of changes this week. I don't know what the changes are. They're going to be there. It's like, okay, great. But also, here's the, I, he mentioned, I, I wish I had in front of me. I thought I had it. I had to close all my tabs earlier, but 
he said something about play calling. Is part of the reason Mahone didn't get back in was sort of play calling and situational. So is he trying to throw under throw, throw under the bus his OC about Mahone not getting more carries? That's an excellent question. But I think, you know, in the same way that we've talked about Wyoming in past weeks, maybe that's the kind of change that Harson is talking about. You know, maybe they want to treat Robert Mahone like Wyoming, which we'll get to in a little bit, you know, treated Trey Woods, kind of giving him some carries and seeing what he could provide to the offense. And then maybe, you know, working him to a bit of a bigger role. Yeah, this, there's a lot of stuff going on in this game. It, because it was close. Like, even at, here's the thing, here's the thing I question too. Like, our buddy Chris Hodges got on me on Twitter. I'm like, when Boise went for that fake punt at the end of the half, I I don't care. Like, I we know what Boise State is. They'll do those type of things. But here's the thing. There is, what, 90 seconds left in the first half, I want to say. They're at the, at their own, what, 40-yard line or so? It was at their own 35, yeah. 35. So they were close enough where if you're 90 seconds out, let's just say the punt is zero yards. Like, they get to the line of scrimmage. That's it. That's a 52-yard field goal. Tough for college kickers. Get 10 yards, you're in field goal range. Instead, they get a touchdown. Yes, Boise turned around and got a touchdown back, but kick the ball deep, make Virginia go 85 yards. Maybe it's only it's still a seven-point game, but there's a big momentum momentum swing where, oh, you give up the fumble, bad, bad snap on a fake punt. UVA scores in two plays. Yes, Boise came back and scored right away, but... I don't care had the had the punt been successful on a fake, I probably still would have said it's probably not the brightest idea. But it's stuff like that where what are you, what are you doing? Why are you doing that type of play deep in your field? When it had it been at midfield and you had to force Virginia to go at least twenty plus yards for a field goal, fine. But you're that deep, you're at the thirty five, your punter's what, ten yards back deep? And look where they got the ball. They got the ball thirty five yards out and scored a touchdown. It's stuff like that where it's like, come on, what are you doing? It's I just quite when you have a fake punt, you got to be confident because if you miss it, you don't want to give the team a good chance to get points, and that's what happened. So I went back and I looked at you know more of the specifics of where they made that decision. It was fourth and three at their own forty. I don't necessarily want to beat up Harson too much for that. You know, if anything, I think you would probably blame the execution. You know, where yeah, it's a bad snap. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, where where Danins is fumbling and then. You know, the drive, they basically go backwards five yards and make it a little bit easier for Virginia to score. So I don't necessarily want to beat them up on that. You know, to me, it's just, you know, the kind of situation where, you know, you can turn around and look at the positives for this team. You know, we knew coming into the season that Cedric Wilson was going to be really good. And he had his best game of the year so far 13 catches, 209 yards, one touchdown. You know, they maybe found a number two guy. You know, A.J. Richardson had five catches for 80 yards. Jake Rowe, who you mentioned again, had that one rushing touchdown for two yards, but he, again, was a factor in the passing game. So, you know, there were those questions coming into the year. I think Boise State has probably answered those questions as far as finding new weapons in the passing game. But that's not going to matter if they can't figure out the run game. That's the thing. Like this is finally, finally the year. People gave me so much garbage when when uh, Jay Jai went to the NFL when he left early. And like, okay, we got this guy Jeremy McNichols. We've seen what he can do, and I'm I was always like, hold your horses, let's wait and see. It's even though McNichols played some, he's still replacing the guy who went to the NFL. And people gave me so much so much crap for saying 
Offense looks great. Offensive line looks great. Everything looks great, but the running game's a big deal. It happened to work out perfectly. I got so much garbage this year. I still mentioned in our previews throughout, hey, is it going to be Madison? Is he going to be that guy? We have the track record. Three straight running backs in the NFL drafted and playing pretty well for the most part. I mean, Nichols not at the moment because isn't he with the Niners now? He got waived and he signed yeah, with them, I believe. Yeah, he's on the practice squad, yeah. But he's still drafted by Tampa Bay. He still got drafted. He's in the NFL. He's one of the top whatever player, how many players in the league. He's a good talent. This is finally the year that, at least the moment, I know we're a quarter of the way into season or a third of the way in, they found no answer to replace him. And I kind of backed off on saying, well, they'll probably be fine. But I didn't take into account the offensive line not being as good. But this is finally the year it drops off. And maybe I should have been harder on it, but not. I'm not saying I told you so or anything like that, but it's a long time coming. How many teams at any level, whether you're Alabama, USC, Texas, any great team have succession of getting – your predecessor being drafted and the next guy coming up being as good over a decade period. It would take me a while to look up, but I'm guessing very few is particularly in a position where it's like either quarterback or running back or some singular position, not linebacker or offensive line, maybe line a little bit, but not many programs have a decade worth of guys get drafted at the same position. Yeah. And I mean, I think it also doesn't help that Rippin, you know, if you look at his overall line, maybe he was okay. But I think that he was a little streakier than you might have than you might have liked too, because yeah, while he was twenty four forty two overall, he was you know nineteen for his first twenty six, and then if my math is correct, he was only six for his last eighteen. Yeah, they only scored nine or, points in the second half, so or sixteen rather. So you know, I think that you know he was moving the ball a little bit early, but especially you know in the second quarter, going into the third quarter, he didn't really help himself because he had a couple of stretches where you know they passed on first, second, and third down. Yeah, hate that. What two, three different times in that stretch? And well, if you can't run the ball, what are you gonna do? You got to pass it. Exactly, and so you know, while you know, maybe Ripon deserves a little bit of accountability for not making all of the plays. But I don't want to shove, you know, too much blame on him. I think he did what he could, considering the circumstances, considering that he was basically forced to kind of win the game himself. And yeah, when when you can't do play action, you can't really do rollouts, you can't do any bootlegs or anything like that to move the pocket all that much. Maybe some boots, but they were four sixteen on third down. They went forward on fourth down a couple of times, one of four, less than seven yards per carry. The big number is three rushing yards and nine penalties. 1.3 yards per rush. So, I think the changes that are going to be made is that Mahone will be the starting running back. I think that sh- I think it's time he, or at least give him the chance, because they play, next game is at BYU, which I will be at in a couple weeks. Mm-hmm. So, I would give an in-person sighting of what's going on. I think Mahone should be the main guy in the back, because BYU's, their defense is, is good, but the, overall they're not great. But I, he should he should get the majority of the carries, at least 15 carries. Give him a chance to see what he can do. I still think Rippon should be the only quarterback. Kozart should not see the field at all. Except, okay, maybe not. Maybe give him three or four plays to when everybody knows he's probably going to run. All this switching around needs to stop. They need to stick with one guy. I know people are crying about Rippon and everything. He's not playing well. Not as great as last year, but there's no reason to switch back and forth. I've said that since this first thing happened, game one versus Troy. I still think it should be ripping and only ripping. 
Well, and he's also going to have to get help in pass protection too, because again, mm-hmm. you know, Boise State allowed four sacks to not the greatest pass rush in the world. <laughs> I guess, but um, let's talk about this. Did you see the tweet? Everybody, did you check Twitter or the piece I wrote about quoting tweets? I guess about everybody wanting Harson gone. I did. I'm assuming you're in my same opinion that it's a bit too soon and not fair to say that. I think that the expectations of Boise State, probably rightfully so, are very high. You know, they're probably one, you know, if you had to name one program that expected to be a New Year's Day bowl contender year in and year out, it's got to be this program. And so when you see the team getting off to a sluggish start like they have this year, I think it makes, you know, certain segments of the fan base a little bit antsy. But we know they have strengths. It's just a matter of shoring up their weaknesses and especially, you know, coming into conference play. I still think they're going to be fine. I still think they're going to be a factor in the Mountain Division. They may have already played themselves out of the New Year's Day race, unfortunately, but they're going to be a factor. The question to me becomes, you know, to kind of go back to your original question, I don't think Harson's going to get fired this year. I don't think that I don't think that's realistic. But the question, I think, becomes how much leash does he get before the program decides to move on? And I went back and I looked at, you know, the kind of performance that Chris Peterson had in between Fiesta Bowls. So they went to the first one in 2006, and then they had to wait another three years before they went in 2009. And then they didn't go again until 2014 in Brian Harson's first year. And granted, between that time... You know, Hart, uh, Peterson was winning like, you know, at least 10 games a year. And at least in, you know, Harson's three complete seasons so far, he's already done that twice. So, you know, if he's winning nine, 10 games a year and they, you know, spike in the next year or two to win 12 games and go back to a New Year's Day game, even if they don't, like, even if he's still winning nine or 10 games, I think it would be really unfair to Harson to move on from him with that kind of performance. I think maybe Boise's some segments of the fan base are living in the past a little bit too much. Yeah. And there's a couple of things with that. Like we don't want to make this a whole Boise show, but you went from the whack to the mountain West. You're not winning 56 to 10 every week against Idaho against New Mexico state, Nevada, Hawaii, Fres- well, Fresno here and there, but like most of the teams that came with them have improved joining the Mountain West. Even though half the teams were in the whack, but you're still not playing certain teams like like I meant those teams I mentioned, Idaho and NMSU. Who else is in the old whack? They played with uh, UTEP. I don't know, whatever. But that's my point. It's to step up a competition when you're playing. Here's thing: they play BYU basically every year. They're going to play another reasonably good non-conference team like this year, Washington State. They played Oregon. They played Oregon State, Virginia, Virginia Tech, I mean, UGA out in the, in the um, Atlanta. They're playing those teams. They play those two teams. Then they also play in the Mountain Division where Wyoming's improved quite a bit. The Mexico and Air Force have a unique brand of offense they've never seen. And look what Air Force did to Michigan offensively. They moved the ball well enough and keep it close. These teams are tough to play against, and that's part of it too. But here's the thing. Since they've joined the Mountain West, they've been averaging, what, nine wins a year? They go 12, 11, 8, 12, 9, and 10. They've won a share of the conference title, the three-way tie before they had the championship game. They won it outright, and they they shared the division last year. 
I think you're right on the head. Expectations are too high because they expect to be in the championship game every year. And that's very difficult to do. Nobody does that every year, no matter if you're Alabama and SEC, if you're in the uh, Big Ten for a championship game now, the ACC, it's it's very difficult to do. I, I it's I think it's because they're not in the conference title game. That's that's my problem. I think they're having. I mean, I'm just taking a very cursory look at how um, Sports Reference, the college football play, page, how they measure strength of schedule per team. And going back through the Peterson years, there wasn't a single year in which the Broncos had an above-average schedule. What you is know, an, what's an above-average schedule? Top 60? Well, I just, you know, it was in years where they were playing 119 teams overall in the FBS. Um, so, yeah, basically above 60, more or less. And in the last couple of years, like so far this year, they rank 64th, which is, you know middle of the pack last year though they were 33rd and they won 10 games the year before that they were 47th and they won nine games so and and the year before that the last time they went to the fiesta bowl you know they were 67th so you know the difficulty hasn't raised that much but i think that there is some truth to what you said like this isn't the same level of competition that they're facing anymore you know, you have teams like Colorado State and San Diego State that have raised their game in the last few years. So it's not going to be quite as easy to get back to the top. But I don't think that means that Harson deserves to lose his job as long as he maintains that kind of nine or ten win pace. I agree. Yeah, exactly. Because, man, just the history, like you said, like it's only been a few, like their worst year in the past since uh, 2001 when they joined the WAC, they've only had two years of eight wins. 2001, and that was uh, they got second, and 2013, Harson's last year. Mm-hmm. Or, I mean, it's, it's going to be Peterson's last year. And they're still winning about the same as they were last year. I just think it is they're not winning titles because when you go back to the, even the Big West, was that, that was FBS, yes, 1999. They've won 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 11 shared or outright conference championships since 1999. Who does that? Nobody, except for them. I mean, you got to think about how many programs in this conference that would kill for a track record in the last five years, like Boise's. Any. Yeah. They're the only team in the conference outside of Hawaii that's been to a big money bowl game. Or rather, I should I should correct myself what I said earlier. Right now, their strength of schedule, according to sports reference, ranks 30th out of 130 teams. It'll drop because Wazoo and Virginia and stuff, but still, I think the point is that it's a bit, it's just it's tough it's just enough tougher. Because here's the thing, I don't want to talk too much about this because we get all these other games, but it's it's increased their schedule, but also the recruiting's increased as well. They're getting different talent, but this tweet might sum it up overall completely. And this makes a lot of sense. This comes from um, BSU Bronco. He goes, "I can't find the tweet, so I'll attempt the quote." Suppose his name isn't Brian Harston. Would you still want to pay a, a coach one point three million dollars who is seven and five from Arkansas State? That's fair, right? Uh, I'm just saying, if you brought in Hugh Freeze or Gus Malzahn previously before you knew who they really were at Arkansas State, would you pay? Would you pay a Sun Belt coach over a million bucks to take over your program in the Mountain West? But that ignores. But that ignores the familiarity that Boise State already had with Harson. As yeah. he was their OC back in the day during the Peterson years. 
It, it does, but it's, it still makes a decent point, I'd say. Right? I feel like that ignores a lot of things. Okay, that's that's fine. I just I mean, that, I, I thought that was interesting to mention because it's not it's partially true, but you're right. If he was there for winning Fiesta Bowls, coaching the team, quarterbacking the team, all that stuff. And I mean, this might be the best timed bye week that any team's going to have this season because they'll have a week off before they go to BYU, and then from there it doesn't really get much easier. You know, after the BYU game, they have to travel to San Diego to face the Aztecs, and then they you know come home and then they come home to face wyoming who who knows what the cowboys will look like at that point they have some questions but you know for me personally i still give them the benefit of the doubt that one way or another they're gonna figure it out i would think so as well and then one last quick thing that dan wolken piece i mentioned he does this wheat misery index and he focused on boys he basically saying a slide was inevitable because you can't like i said before nobody keeps it together for this long and losing Chris Peterson was huge and probably bigger than what we ever thought. So we kind of kind of go through that type of stuff about Peterson, top five coach, and you bring in Harson, who it's going to be a decline unless you find another top five coach, which you are never going to find. It's just kind of go, it just basically goes over what we discussed. So, Boise fans, you, here's the thing: you can be upset. I'm fine with that. You can be ticked off, but to say here's the thing: if you want to get rid of Brian Harson, my question always is: if you get rid of somebody, who are you bringing in? Chip Kelly's not coming to town. You know what I mean? You're not getting a coach like that to come to Boise. Who are you going to bring in to replace Harson that's better? Good point. It's going to be a coach from, if it's going to be a head coach, it's going to be from Sunbelt, Conference USA, the American, something like that, or an OC from a big conference. You're not going to pull in a coach from, even the coach at, the new coach at Indiana, he's not coming into Boise next year. If there's an opening, you know what I mean? You're not even the, the guy, Jeff Brom at Purdue. He's not going to take over Boise State or went up from Western Kentucky. Who are you going to get to replace Harson that's better? Yeah, of course, if anybody has any suggestions, feel free to let us know at MWCY. You know what the best coach was? They go, um, I don't care. I want, they'd rather have fake Coach Harson than Coach Harson. Huh. <laughs> also, one guarantee that a lot of Twitter people made a lot of block, a lot of whoever's running the Harson Twitter accounts. Probably needs to get a hand wrist or getting carpal tunnel from the block button this weekend. <laughs> just, you know, set up some kind of bot to just handle all those blocks. <laughs> just make your account private. Come on, coach. That's all you got to do now, right? Yeah. <laughs> just go that route. All right, let's move on. That was a good 20-plus minutes on one game, but 25 minutes. Oh, boy. Let's move on. Okay. Um, Where should we go? UNLV, Ohio State. Is there anything to glean from that 54-21 loss? They covered. Is that it? <laughs> I think you can be encouraged by the fact that UNLV hung tough. You know, the, the the score, especially in the first half, didn't look pretty, but they really caught some bad breaks. Like, the, it wasn't that Armani Rogers made bad throws on the two interceptions that he made. If I remember correctly, they were both of the, you know, off the receiver's hands or the, the tip drill variety. Yeah, at least one was, I recall. Yeah, so... I mean, I think it's a credit that, you know, he hung in there. It's going to be a learning experience for him. And obviously, there's probably not a defense that's of the caliber of Ohio State's defense. You know, they give up four sacks, which is probably not going to happen too often in conference play. And, you know, they didn't quit. They still found, you know, a couple of nice runs. Lexington Thomas only had 12 carries, but he did have a 55-yard touchdown. Yeah, I think, think 
even a Kurt Palladek sighting. Come on, he had twenty three yard run. Kurt yeah, Palladek. and and Javin White ended up having a pick six. So I think that you know maybe it was a little bit rough in the first half, and maybe Ohio State eased up a little bit in the second half. But I think all things considered, UNLV should probably feel okay about this result. They gave up seven touchdown passes, two quarterbacks. I don't know the last time this happened, but two quarterbacks had over 200 yards. Huh. You had uh, Haskins there, uh, Dwayne Haskins and JT Barrett. And then you had uh, everybody's favorite, uh, Joe Burrow, 404 as well. Yeah, and I mean, I think it's worth noting, too, that, you know, even though they were, what, 3 of 13 on third downs, especially in the first half, they were moving the ball fairly well. You know, the 3 of 13, they were, I'm trying to look up the numbers right here, um, you know, one, two, three, I think they were like three of their first seven or something like that. And then when things really got away from them in the second half, it was after halftime, basically, they didn't have a, a, a single first down conversion. And they were in situations where it was like third and 17, third and 13, third and 10. So I feel like that number is a little bit deceptive because in the first half, they were able to make some plays it just, you know, the breaks went away from them, and obviously the Buckeyes are a really talented team. There's that. And give credit to the defense as well. They held Ohio State 3 of 11 on third downs. Yeah. So that's pretty good. So it's, it, again, learning experience. And this is the first game where, because Charles Williams is out for the year. Lexington Thomas was the guy. Rodgers ran 12 times just because. So I'm guessing, I thought the backup would be like um, Xavier Campbell, but it looks like it's going to be Evan Owens as number two running back going forward. On this team, you had Devontae Boyd made some good plays. There was a couple of downfield, 24-yard pass he caught. Four, at least four rushes over 10 yards. Like, what are you going to do? You're playing the top 10 team. UNLV is not there yet to where they can be competitive with teams ranked. Any rank. So, think of it this way. When they play their next game, it's going to be a whole lot easier when they're playing. Well, they got San Jose State next week. So, that's a big difference playing Ohio State to San Jose State. Yeah, they're going to come home, I think, you know, the non-conference schedule, I believe, is done at this point, unless they play BYU later they, in the year. I forget. They they do play BYU at home, I think, a Friday night game in November. But I think all things considered, you know, maybe they won't be anybody's favorite to compete for the West Division title. They're going to make things interesting, I think. We'll, we'll find out starting next week. Really quick. So UNLV plays San Jose State next week. Mm-hmm. I was dead. I was, me and Tyler Bischoff were guessing the line on Twitter. Have you seen the line of this game? Because they're at home versus Spartans. I have not seen it. Take a guess at what it is. UNLV minus 13. Oh, you're higher than I was. I said 9.5. He said 7.5. It's currently 11. Opened up as 10. Huh. Yeah, I mean, that sounds about right. Me too. I'm like, because he's like 7.5 on my coma road. He's like, home, give him another two points. Oh, boy. That'll be be next week. Let's move on to um, another blowout, unfortunately. Washington State. 45, Nevada Wolfpack, 7. Um, not a shutout. David Cornwell sighting. Or David, not what did I say, David, Dave, Daniel? David Cornwell, excuse me. 13-25. An abysmal 97 yards and three interceptions. No, um, in postgame, Coach Norvell did not say who's going to start next week. And their uh, conference opener, they play at Fresno State, I don't believe. Is that correct? Yes, it is. So, here's we'll get. There's no. What are you going to say about this game? They couldn't move the ball. Luke Falk did no running game. 
passing game, Demps had six receptions. Good for him. Mannix didn't do what we thought. He only two caps, uh, receptions. Here's the thing. Why, if you're going to play for the future and bring in uh, Cayman Curtin, Curtin, play him the rest of the season. You burned his red shirt so early. Why switch quarterbacks after he had, was it four drives and five, four possessions and five passes? I get it. You're playing Washington State. They're really good this year. Why switch the quarterback for the rest of the game in Cornwall? If you have a true freshman, because you have true freshmen playing on defense, you have true freshmen in other, other, other places, quarterback's a big deal. Why, why, stick with, why not stick with him and let him get beat up and learn? Why go back to another quarterback and then say post game? Well, who knows? Maybe he didn't say this. It's me, but maybe Ty Gangel will start. Who knows? He Norvell's not giving up who's going to start, but I don't see the point of playing of not playing Carrington now after Brady's redshirt this year early. Well, I think the better question is: Did Nor did Jay Norvell make a mistake in pulling the redshirt off of Curtin? Yeah, yes, I'm saying that he made the mistake. Yes, that's my point. If you're going to burn it, let him let him ride it out. It's not. It's not like he played three quarters, three plus quarters. It's uh, or let's just say halftime, thirty-five out to half. Let's just get Cornwall in there just because we don't want injury sakes. No, he got pulled early in the game. I believe his early second quarter for production, not because safer injury or it's a blowout, which it already was on in progress for. But if you burn the redshirt, play him majority of the game. Maybe give Cornwall a, ser- a couple series fourth quarter just because you never know. And save uh, Kurt Curton. I know there's confidence injury stuff, but I still thought it was a mistake when they burned it last year because both Ganji and Corn will have eligibility for next season. Yeah, I mean it's kind of hard to argue otherwise. Um, I mean, I think some of it too. Not only was he just not effective throwing the ball, but he took a lot of sacks in those early drives as well. And I think that for as decent as the offensive line looked in the first couple of games. You know, Ty Ganji, we knew he was mobile. He was pretty good at evading pass rushes. But in that first, you know, in those first drives he talked about, I'm trying to look up how many times they were able to sack him in the first quarter. And I'm pretty sure Washington State had like three or four sacks in that first quarter. And that's just not going to be able to get it done. Not only if you're just not effective throwing the football, but if you can't even get the football away in time. I think that is probably why they turned to Cornwall, but it is kind of interesting why they didn't choose to go back to Ganji instead. Who has think, more, like you said, more, like if he's getting sacked, he has more abil- dual threat ability and can run the ball a little bit. Yeah. And I mean, it also didn't help that Nevada also had maybe its worst game throwing the, or not throwing the football, running the football as well. You know, Washington State ended up with, you know, nine tackles for loss and, they only averaged what 46 yards or they only had 46 yards as a team you know even after you you know even after you adjust for sacks and everything like that you know Blake Wright their leading rusher only had 37 yards Malik Brody only 17 yards Kelton Moore who had been pretty solid in the first few weeks seven carries nine yards you know Maybe that was part of Curtin's problem, too, is he just didn't have a running game to lean on because Washington State made a point of shutting that down early as well. Either way, this quarterback situation is kind of a mess going into conference play, and you kind of have to wonder how that's going to affect the development of the team going forward. It could be because you're looking really quick what Wazoo did. Seven QB hurries, five sacks overall, 
and interesting. Like I joke about, I have my quarterback rankings every week. There, it's it's there's I I don't know what to do because so many teams are playing so many quarterbacks. But this could be on like you lived through the Fresno State with uh, what they did at quarterback the past couple of years with Druder and Dave Schrammett, OC. This seems to be rapidly approaching that distinction of you're not playing well. I'm going to put you in. You looked at me weird. You're not going to play this series. We're going to rotate every other snap. It's starting to look like this could be heading that territory if something's not solved quickly or at least have a plan of what they're going to do and make it clear that they're not going to stray from that plan. Yeah. I mean, I definitely agree because on the whole, you know, you look at their, their numbers as a whole, as a team, their passing offense is not, I mean, it's not great, but it hasn't been that bad in some respects. You know, they still have a seven to six touchdown to interception ratio, which for a regrouping team is not terrible. You know, they're middle of the pack as far as yards per game. What really sticks out to me is that through four games, they're still under 50% completion percentage and they're averaging under six yards per attempt. And for a team that wants to be passed first in the long run, you're going to need to figure out who that guy is to raise those numbers. Because if it's not Ganji and it's not Curitan, then it puts a lot of pressure on Cornwall to kind of, you know, emerge and be the guy. And, you know, it puts a lot of pressure on Norvell, I think, to stick with him if he gets off to a slow start next week against Fresno. Yeah, that's a good point. It's kind of anybody's guess, I think. Yeah, it's a good point. The um, offense is supposed to be, I know it could take time, but you'd think even early on when you're running a unique offense like this, you'd think there'd be some success going four wide, five wide, hurry up, not playing kind of what Oregon did a little bit, fast pace and more passing than not. Even if you're a bad team, you should have some sort of success doing that. And they're having none of that. And it's, they just need to play. And here's one quick thing. You mentioned they're under 40% for the year. Passing under fifty percent, fifty. Sorry, um, so that rate I, I pulled up really quick. Okay, if you exclude the, the academies, because Army's four of twenty three passing. So you get rid of okay. Let's get rid of triple option teams. Georgia Tech's up higher; they're actually doing well. But teams that actually pass the ball, you have Baylor. On, there's only thirteen, or I guess ten teams. Again, non non service academy triple option teams that are under fifty percent for the year. Nevada is technically at 49.6, them and Baylor, but you got teams like San Jose State in the same category, Bowling Green, East Carolina, who's been terrible. You have a new F- FBS team close to Carolina. Georgia Southern runs the ball like crazy, so maybe exclude them as well. UTEP can't throw the ball. Charlotte's a fairly new FBS team. It's They're in some bad company. All those teams aren't doing well, despite Baylor nearly pulling off that upset against OU yesterday on Saturday, but they, I just think they need to plan and stick with it. Whether you're going to play... Cornwall every quarter, play Ganji or play Cayman, whatever. Make a plan and don't stray from it. Yeah, I think you're probably right. And you know, this is this is probably not the kind of year that Nevada fans expected to, you know, immediately go out and compete for a bowl berth anyway. Well, but, I still you know, I still have them like at two wins. Beginning of the year, two or three wins. But if you're trying to answer questions in the long term, like you said, you're gonna need a plan to at least you know, have some sense of how to answer those questions. You can't just like go into it, you know, willy nilly or anything like that. Yeah. Plans change stuff happen, but if you have a plan and say we're doing a, B and C, then you can two things that one, one thing that does besides having a plan and people know their 
um, place on the team, you could actually set goals and say, all right, you're going to play, you played this, this is your part of the game, and you could actually see, figure out if you played well or not, not just because you're pulled after going one of five. All right, let's move on. Let's go to, um, it's funny. My um, ESPN score tracker says Wyoming and Hawaii is tied at seven in the third quarter. That's not true. That's not true. <laughs> but, um, who's Utah State? What are they? <laughs> What's up with Wild, the Ag? Wildly inconsistent. <laughs> 61 to 10 victors over San Jose State. I think just as relevant as a, of a question is who are San Jose State at this point? They don't have a quarterback, and I think after the podcast officially came out of the depth chart, Montel Aaron was out. I still don't believe I know the injury. At least they're not saying, but he had ice wrap crutches. Josh Love played again. No end zone for him. He's only eight of twenty. They and it pick. They brought in Sam Allen, who was zero for two late in the game. No running game. They had a couple of decent running plays, but Utah State, their total yardage to score sixty one points doesn't add up. <laughs> Well, I mean, you know what adds up is, you know, the fact that San Jose State, I'm trying to remember exactly how many times they turned the ball over yesterday. They turned the ball over five five times. Mm -hmm. And, you know, (laughs) if you look at that points points off of turnovers column, Utah State had 35 points off of turnovers, (laughs) which means that every single time the the Spartans copped it up, yeah. That's really been one of the very quiet themes about this Spartans team in this early going is, you know, they have some promise, but, you know, at least on offense, it seems like they can't get out of their own way. Like, we don't really know what their quarterback situation looks like going into next week because, as you said, Love, again, didn't really get it done, but neither did Sam Allen in his cameo appearance. He was 0 for 2 throwing the football. And then even Michael Carrillo got into the action. So that's four different guys now, I believe, that have you know gone under center for the Spartans. Are we're so, approaching quinterback situation here. So and I mean it's gonna be you know, like we just talked about with Nevada. They don't ha- they're not gonna compete this year. But you know, you do want to find a plan in the same way that we just talked about with the Wolfpack. So if Love's not going to get it done, then maybe it is time to give Sam Allen an extended look, or maybe it is time to give Michael Carrillo an extended look. But at, I, the, same, but at the same time, you know, the defense hasn't been as good as I thought it would be. No, they got lit up in the air by Utah and now um, Chucky, or not Chucky Keaton, Kent Myers. 18-24, yeah, only 181, but defense... They here's the thing that's interesting. They held Utah State to 21 third downs, which is a lot of third downs. Aggies com- converted 10 of those. So they they're sort of making stops, but when it counts, they're not. And also think about it, if you're if you here's a, some defense for San Jose State. You turn the ball over five times, short field. Time of possession favored the Aggies basically. I think 40 minutes to 20 minutes. That's yeah, that's, that's a good. lot of time the defense is on the field and they get tired. And it's mm-hmm. it's tough when. You go out in the field, oh, crap, turnover. We were just on the sideline for, like, 90 seconds of real time. It's like, what, yeah. what, what are we going to do? It's like, we need a breather here. Give it, yeah, Help us o- out, offense. Come on. And not only that, you know, the average drive for the Aggies in this game started at the San Jose State 40. Jeez. Whereas for the Spartans themselves, their own drive started at their own 30. That's like, what, a... Th- <laughs> a lot? <laughs> That's a 30-yard difference in field position. 
that's a huge difference. I'm thinking here's the I think I think San Jose wanted to, wants to go with Montel Aaron, but they're not saying what his injury is, and so I'm thinking it might be like an ACL. Because he was on the depth chart, like I said after the game, he, he was on versus Utah, not dressed and pads. He decided he had crutches and ice. I need to do some research to see if I can figure out what's going on. But I think they wanted Aaron to be the guy. But when he's hurt, that throws the plan out. And Aaron has been getting them in the end zone when he's playing. He's looked to be the better quarterback. But him, his injury, it's tough to say because they're being quiet about it. And I don't think he practiced last week. And he's not well, not suited up. He's not in the depth chart. I'm assuming it's long-term injury, and that kind of throws a wrench into their plans. And so maybe they should go to Allen because Love, well, again, interception, no touchdowns. I mean, if, I think if you're looking for a silver lining as a San Jose State fan, you can maybe point to the fact that the running game was able to have a little bit of success. You know, Zamor Ziegler and Malik Groberson didn't light the world on fire, obviously. But they did combine for almost 100 yards on 20 carries, so that's something. I think... There's that, you yeah. know. And we know that they still have weapons at receiver, even if Utah State was hold, able to hold Bailey Gaither especially in check. I believe he only had 21 yards receiving. So let me ask, let's go back to Utah State a bit. We've discussed a bunch about Spartans. There are some pot, like the running game was okay. That moved the ball a bit, and Utah State played. Like, again, they're wildly consistent. So is it, who is this Utah State team? Because look who they played. Wisconsin top 10 team. Wake, I don't know what they are. They're okay, you know what I mean? They're Wake not, won again last week. Who they beat this week? I forget. Um, App, I they, believe they I escaped believe they beat App State. Louisiana. No, no, no oh, they App, did. Twenty to nineteen, App State, right? But App State's a pretty good team. Oh, they are. And so, no, no, I'm not saying that. I'm saying they, they're not, they're not ranked. Yeah, I get your point. But like in the ESPN power rankings, I think they put them at what sixteen or something. Or, nah, I can't open this link. It's been a mess. But my point is, they played a, a wild swing of opponents. Like I said, they played Idaho State. They crushed, played well. Crushed San Jose State. Lose to a pretty good Wake team, which might win nine games or so. I don't know. Ten games. We'll see. Wisconsin, playoff bound, possibly. Big Ten bound. Then they host BYU this weekend, where BYU's defense is pretty good. But their offense is atrocious. They're playing a backup quarterback because Tanner Mangum's still out. Their offensive line's not any good. They have no running back. Their best receiver is a tight end as a freshman. I'm thinking this BYU game would be more on par with the Aggies. And so we'll probably know a lot more this Friday night. Yeah. I mean, cause if you look at what they've done as far as yards per play on offense, you know, game by game, you can kind of see a huge disparity between what they were able to do against Wisconsin and Wake Forest and what they were able to do against Idaho state and San Jose state, you know, on the whole, I think they're right around the middle of the conference as far as yards per play and total offense. But they were above six yards against both the Spartans and the Bengals, and they were under four and a half yards against Wisconsin and Wake Forest. So to me, you know, the question I think is, you know, which kind of offense are they closer to? Because I'm, I'm looking at some of these numbers, and did you realize now that the only team that has more 10-yard plays from scrimmage is Colorado State right now? Then Utah State? Yeah, Utah State's number two in 10-yard in plays from scrimmage. And I'm trying to look at what they are from 20-yard plays. They're you know a little bit middle of the pack, but they are you know pretty explosive. I think we can definitively say that much. 
so to me, it's how much of that are they going to get from week to week? Because, you know, again, we know they have playmakers. You know, they probably had the catch of the week from one Ron Quavian Tarver on that touchdown catch he had. You know, he's obviously going to be a factor. Jordan Nathan looks more and more like a factor. It looks like they have a tight end in Dax Raymond who could be a factor. And they had a lot of chunk plays against this defense. Like if you look at the long plays that all their receivers were able to have, they had one, two, three, four, seven guys who had at least one catch of more than 15 yards. This that's a really That's a really good sign. But yeah. the question becomes is like how often are we going to be able to see that? See, this is the offense Nevada wishes they had. Because exactly. they're, they're kind of running the same thing. And the reason Kent Myers got pulled against um, Wake Forest because they're getting beat. It's not because he was playing poorly like Nevada was with um, with came in there. So, and it looks like Aggies may have found a running back, and maybe it is going to be um, El Toro Allen and Lawan Hunt splitting time. They It's hard to tell when you have five, four guys have 10 carries and more than 50 yards. Bit difficult to tell who's going to be because you even had like Justin Justin Hervey there, Harvey there, or Hervey, excuse me. I was right the first time, Hervey, with uh, 55 yards. So we'll, we'll see when they play BYU because it is. Here's the thing: the BYU's defense is probably more on par with like Wake than is San, obviously than San Jose, San Jose or Idaho State. This is still a pretty good defense, but at the moment, do you want to guess what the line is for that BYU game, which is home in Logan? Uh, BYU minus six. It opened as minus six and a half. Quick swing to Utah State, only a three point dog at home. It's going to be. I mean, this is probably the most fascinating team in the conference at this point just because of the fact that they've, they've shown like kind of what they look like at the 90th percentile and what they look like at the 10th percentile. Had this game like this weekend, it feels like an 8 p.m. game because I'm going to be up kind of northern part of the Salt Lake area, clo- closer to uh, Logan than I'd probably normally would be. But I, I can't get if it. If, I, if this is an 8 p.m. game, I would make my way up there because I'm only like 45 minutes away from Logan compared to normally my two hours. If it, it man, if it was a later game, I'd definitely make the drive up there now. But we'll see. All right, let's move on. We've been for only six or seven games. We're talking a lot. We're talking a lot tonight. All right, let's keep moving. Should we go to the game of the day, or is this the um, game, or is this the game of the day? Well, oh wait, we we passed we passed one. Oh my goodness, we, we passed one. Yeah, New Mexico, sixteen. Crap, only sixteen points, Matt. Oh, Tulsa only at thirteen. <laughs> Uh, it, that probably didn't work well because people already knew the score. <laughs> I mean, this was a really fascinating game to watch, though, because, you know, New Mexico won a game, I think, in the way that nobody expected them to do it with defense. And special teams. Yeah, exactly. Um, I, didn't, I think a lot of that is a credit to Jason Sanders, who, you know, does he have the strongest leg in the conference? Uh, he nailed a 53-yarder in the victory on the road after the offense took a – Did you have you seen what that last drive was? I did. Ten plays, four minutes and 43 seconds to milk the entire clock, traveled 22 yards. Hey, whatever works, right? And they called – he's two timeouts. And you know what made it worse? Penalty to make it a reasonably less difficult 48-yarder. They had the full start on the field goal attempt to push it back to 53 yards, and Sanders was clutch and hit it down the uprights. I mean, maybe some of that has to do with the altitude. I don't, well, actually, I don't know what the altitude is in Tulsa. Dude, it's flat. But, Come on. There's nothing. But I mean, okay, well, I don't know. Maybe it's on a plateau. But, 
it looked like it could have been good from 60. <laughs> Jeez. Like that's how that's how good that that last field goal looked. But I mean, even beyond that, I think you have to give New Mexico's defense a lot of credit. You know, maybe this is a unit that's starting to come together a little bit where, you know, I think we kind of expected Tulsa's running game especially to be a huge factor in this game. And, you know, Danzel Brewer did end up with 130 yards. He did average eight yards a carry, but, you know, there were a couple of chunk plays where he had a run of 45 yards and a run of 35 yards. More often than not, though, the Lobos really held him in check. Like, you know, nobody's stat sheet, I think, is going to really jump off the page. But, you know, you had a lot of guys contributing, like, you know, Jake Rothschiller, who's had a pretty good year so far. He, again, I believe, led the team in tackles. Um, you know, Alex Hart, very quietly, has had a pretty good year. He had six tackles. If they're not going to be as explosive on offense as they were a year ago, which, again, they had a little bit of that, but maybe not quite as much as you might have expected. Or maybe I should stand corrected because they did have 12 plays of more than 10 yards on the ground. But, but, you know, if they don't have that from week to week, is this a New Mexico defense that's maybe starting to, you know, come around a little bit? A couple things on that. Yes and no. Okay. Coming into the game, Tulsa averaged 47 points per game. Mm-hmm. They were held to 13 points. Here's a reason, Here's a couple of things. My, you know what my favorite stat of the game is? What's that? Time of possession. 42 minutes and 41 seconds for the Lobos. That's crazy. And I, I, I still I, – I could see how they win, but they gave up the ball. They were minus two and still won the game. They were six – their defense – defense did good. Obviously, 13 points this offense – they held them five of thirteen on third downs for Tulsa. They, maybe I, you know the defense is getting credit to where they deserve, and if you can hold this Tulsa offense down to what they did, this honestly, this offense arguably could be the best they see all year. Maybe depending on things shake out in conference, you got because rest of the schedule. Yeah, CSU is really good offense. Air Force a different type of offense, but still not quite as explosive. They do play Texas A and M late in the year. And the Aztecs are more well. Let me say this: they're the most explosive offense they would see all year. Tulsa, mm, yeah. As for best offense, maybe again they got CSU, Texas A and M, and San Diego State. I would say Tulsa would be maybe at the top of that for what what we've seen them do in Phil Montgomery's play calling and what he's done the past couple of years. But passing game holding this Tulsa offense 131 yards in the air is amazing. Running the ball, yeah, outside of two chunk plays, that's half the rushing yards on two plays. About 80 yards on two plays. Out of that, Outside of that, what, they're 28 carries on 70 yards? Give them a ton of credit for everything they've done. They gave up, only, like, three big plays didn't hurt them. The long 34-yard pass play to Justin Hobbs and those two running plays you mentioned from Brewer. So, defense is getting there, but you know what I like? Um, Who's Colton Gerhardt, Matt? <laughs> who's that guy? He's a guy who had a pretty good Saturday for himself. Quarterback, third string quarterback. We, I guess, in our preview, we didn't know about it. Jordan was out. Tuivata was out. They nearly had to go. They went to a fourth quarterback for at least was it one play for Bryson Carroll? Yeah, I think he just came in and knelt down to end out the half. No, he had a ten yard run. Or did he? Yes. Remember, we're on Twitter discussing. Oh, yeah, we're discussing right. who's QB five and Rick Wright from the ABQ journals. Like, uh, I think it's some freshman wide receiver who might be quarterback. 
Another team were vastly or closely approaching quarterback scenarios. I mean, it wasn't the prettiest of games. You know, he was 9 of 14, though, which I think is a huge part of whatever success New Mexico is going to have, you know, throwing the ball. I think you want to be above 50%, and he was, and that's a credit to him. So even though he only went for 108 yards, you know, he made plays through the air when he needed to. And he also added 156 yards on the ground. So I think if you're looking for New Mexico quarterback, like the kind of performance that they would ideally get from them, I think that's kind of it, isn't it? Yeah, that's why I said like 8 of 12, 9 of something like that, about 70% of possible in that range, at least 66%, two thirds, and 100 yards. Give me 8 of 12 for 100 yards, I'd be satisfied. Because that gives them enough to, to on third and eight, they can't just stack the box and, and blitz eight guys. Yeah, and I mean they're they're never gonna rack up explosive plays through the air like a pass team, you know, or pass first team is going to. But you know, Gerhardt did have a few chunk plays that I think showed New Mexico what they could do. Um, you know, they had a second and nineteen, I believe, early in the third quarter, and he completed a pretty pretty good 21 yard pass to Chris Davis for a first down you know they're not going to get that all the time but if they can get that some of the time I think that makes a huge difference for what this team ultimately wants to be so is this Lobos team a bowl team I mean I thought they were coming into the season they've been they've looked at least a little bit different than I expected them to I thought it would you know mostly be led by their offense having to score a lot of points but I mean, at this point, I'm not going to back down from it because I think I thought they were going to be a factor coming into the year, and I still think that's going to be the case. Do you think – so was your 2-2 two and two record about what you thought they'd be in non-play? Yeah, I don't have, like, my win-loss record in front of me right now, but I believe I did have 2-2. Two and two. I think I either had 2-2, two and two, maybe 3-1. and one. My latest bowl projections I put out, I have them in the bowl game because 2-2, two and two, like, they'll probably, probably beat Fresno as three wins – Probably going to beat Utah State 4, UNLV 5. Maybe they can sneak up on Wyoming or something to get 6. We'll see. Or maybe even Air Force next week. Well, let's not forget, I had them winning 8 games. You did have them. You're much higher than I was. And, also, and yeah, let's uh, let's move on because we're already at our mark and we got more stuff to talk about. All right, let's keep rolling. Rainstorm. You ready for this one? Air... This was a fun game. This was nuts. Air Force, San Diego State. San Diego State won. Aztecs should be higher in the polls, but most people probably just saw the 28-24 and were done with it. This game was, like, you've seen rain. This was rain, cold. The field was, basically, there's no drainage on the field at some point. Because typically when it rains hard, oh, you can sort of tell what's going on. No, you can see the rain, and it affected Aztecs more than Air Force in the, uh, what, first uh, 25 minutes before that 90-minute lightning delay. It was insane to watch. It was like it was the kind of thing that you might see on Friday Night Lights or something like that. It's like a movie, yeah, something like that. It, Air, I don't. It was weird because Air Force moved the ball offensively during the rainstorm. Aztecs could not. Penny had to fumble on the toss. Here's the thing: I'm kind of jumping around, but Air Force nearly won this game on their special teams. Because you look at last week versus Michigan, that basically cost them any chance of potentially pulling off the upset. They had a blocked punch. They had a, a clutch field goal when it was pouring down rain. And did they also complete a two-point conversion, I want to say? They did. So, yeah, they that's sort of special teamies, I guess, if you want to go that route. But 
this was a good game. Air Force is good, and I kind of wish playing these type of teams would have been a a better like better field condition because it's still a good game. But there's a point the way the Aztecs could not move the ball. Like Penny could not find his footing; he kept slipping. There was a Christian Chapman trip, tripping on under center's foot or something on a third down, falling down. They couldn't throw the ball because heck, you couldn't throw the ball because of the rain and water. And oh man, and this was just a good game. And then. I called in the preview. I mentioned to you in the preview, like should Air Force go wide or go up the middle? Should San Diego State adjust that their front? Welcome back, fullback dive. Apparently, Parker Wilson led the team rushing with 99 yards, just chipping away, chipping away, and, and Air Force could not go wide one bit. I mean, I think what you have to look at when you're thinking about this game, and I'll give credit to you know the Colorado Springs kid, that's Brett Brigham for pointing this out. In more specific terms, but you kind of have to think about this game in terms of before the rainstorm and after the rainstorm, because in the in the first quarter, especially, you know, Air Force had a significant advantage. You know, they had 99 yards on offense. San Diego State only had 39. And it was you know reversed a little bit. You know, the Air Force only had 21 yards in the second quarter and, you know, San Diego State only had 54 in the second half, though, it was a completely different story. The Aztecs basically outgained the Falcons 2-1 to one after halftime. They put up you know 274 yards of total offense. They were averaging you know 8 yards of play. And I think when you're looking for a difference in this game, that's kind of what it comes down to. Air Force had its chances early to kind of you know put things away. And, you know, especially in that first half, they just weren't really able to get it done. Well, it's the weather, obviously. Because usually it's like, oh, offense knows what they're doing. But the Air Force defense stuffed Penny like he was a little hesitant to run the ball. A little hesitant to pass. You know what I mean? It's just hard to – it's not just rain. It was like soaking through your cleats. There was puddles on the field. It's hard to run that way. No team's used to that, but somehow Air Force was better at it. Yeah, and I mean, one thing that you pointed out, which I think is also worth pointing out here, is that, you know, early in the game, San Diego State really struggled moving the chains as well. They were 0 for 3, or excuse me, 0 for 5, rather, on third down conversions. Mm-hmm. I think end up 0 and 6, actually, before they got their first one. Yeah, it was about 10 minutes into the second quarter before they finally got one. And they ended up going, what, 1 for their first 8. But after halftime, they were 3 for 5 on third downs. And when you consider when you compare that to what Air Force was able to do on third downs, they had more opportunities overall. They just weren't able to convert as many of them. Especially, you know, there were some really critical, you know, third downs early in the second half, late in the first half, where it was you know third and five, and they only got three yards, and they ended up having to punt it away, I believe. And you know, third and four, right at the beginning of the third quarter, and they were only able to get one yard and. So, I mean, those are those small plays that, you know, may go unnoticed on the stat sheet, but they had a huge influence on how this game turned out. They did. And also, what's up? There's no good explanation unless Brigham had mentioned something today. Tim McVeigh didn't get his first um, handoff or carry until late in the second half. I don't know if it was because they went to the fullback dive and Wilson was doing that a lot, but he only had seven carries and maybe it was the weather thing. They kind of mentioned that, but... Why was he not getting the ball more often? I mean, I think you kind of answered your own question. <laughs> is the 
I think that you know they were having success, you know, pounding San Diego State between the tackles in a way that they weren't last week against Michigan. And you know, a lot of that I think is a credit to Parker Wilson, who you know was wasn't explosive running up the middle. His longest run was only nine yards. It was a tank, man, just boom, boom, boom. Yeah, but he was yeah, and he was getting yards up the middle, which I think you know that was the kind of offense that Air Force wanted to run. And I think, you know, to that same effect, if you look at how many tackles for loss San Diego State had, they only had five, which, you know, sounds okay until you realize that they ran the ball 60 times as a team. (laughs) Exactly. So I think, you know, that was maybe part of their game plan. Maybe they wanted McVay to be a closer because by the time he actually did start getting touches, you know, he averaged over six yards per touch and... You know, whether that was by design or not, I don't know that I necessarily have a problem with it, but it is a little bit intriguing when you consider that McVay is probably their biggest playmaker on the team. I was just surprised that while they tried to go wide, maybe it was worth been making the call because he ran the ball more than he probably should 26 times. And McVay was in the, in the game. It wasn't like he was benched. And I get that going side to side was hard, and I kind of alluded that in a preview about should they try side to side, but you got to go to the dive, which worked well. I think Worthman has to be more economical in his own carries and not carry, take the ball 26 times. Toss it. Give McVay the ball. Yeah, even even if it's – here's the thing. The triple option, which whatever you want to call this offense, run option, works as if you actually have three phases, fullback dive, quarterback keeper, or a pitchman. If you're keeping the ball 26 times, what's the point of the defense going after McVay? They're just going to key in on Worthman the whole game. Even if McVay has four more carries and only gains two yards on those or zero yards, that still makes the defense have to uh, take care of the threat, which is McVay. If you keep the ball every time, yes, that could one time open up for a big play the time they swarm on you and McVay gets a pitch when Worthman's triple teamed, but that didn't happen. He, his longest, longest run is only 12 yards. Even if it's not working, in this offense, you have to do the whole offense. You can't just do the fullback dive every play. You can't do the keeper every play. 46 plays. 20 were a fullback dive, essentially, off of Wilson, I'm assuming. Worthman, the other ones were whatever it was, off tackle, or whatever running play you wanted to do. But to make this offense work even better, you have to give the pitchman more carries. You can't keep it every time. Here's another thing that made, it's a hu- that made a huge difference in this game. And we talked about it a little bit in the preview, but I think it's especially relevant for both of these teams going forward. Arian Worthman, again, just didn't get it done as a passer. You know, he was only one of five and he had two yards. And then, of course, the last gasp interception. You know, last year when they were really successful down the stretch, a lot of that was due to the fact that Arian Worthman was completing like nearly 60% of his passes. And, you know, if you ignore the VMI opener, he's only 2 of 12 so far in two games, two losses for this team. That's going to have to improve at some point. And on the flip side, you know, you really can't say enough about how Christian Chapman came through, especially down the stretch, because... You know, in the same way that, you know, Air Force really, or not Air Force, San Diego State really struggled as an offense in that first half. If you look at what he did in the second half of the game, 7 of 9, 140 yards, and the game-winning touchdown. Again, and I, I put this out on Twitter earlier today because I thought it was really fascinating. 
nationally among quarterbacks right now in the second half and in overtime of games Christian Chapman ranks seventh as far as quarterback rating so let me ask you this I'm putting together a quarterback ratings every week where should I put Chapman in I think I put him at two last week should he be number one this week over Nick Stevens I think he's playing like he deserves the top spot right now because this is this is the second straight week where you know he's come up large and you know it's not like we haven't seen him do that before I think within the system that San Diego State runs, like he's never going to be a Nick Stevens or a Brett Rippon or anything like that. But within what they what the Aztecs ask him to do, he's doing it better than anybody's done it in like three or four years. Like his quarterback rating, oddly enough, is almost exactly the same as it was last year. But he's raised his completion percentage, his yards per attempt have held steady, and he's only thrown one interception so far. And if you're looking in recent history and what other San Diego state quarterbacks have done in this Max system. Smith, Maxwell Smith. I still claim terrible. Well, and even before him, like Quinn Kaler. Oh boy. <laughs> Quinn Kaler was okay for a year, but you know, Christian Chapman is giving them the best quarterbacking performance that they've had since Ryan Lindley, Ryan Lindley, probably. And that, and, was, and that was a passing offense. That was a, not this type of offense where it's run the ball is a more open passing attack with, uh, I believe Brady Hoke was his head coach. Oh, and by the way, you know, Chapman's completion percentage is way better than Lindley's was in 2011. And his quarterback rating right now is almost 25 points higher. Crazy. Lindley was only 53% completion as a senior. Not, yeah. not good. So, I mean, when all is said and done, he's probably going to end up being a better quarterback than Lindley. And, you know, everybody knows about Rashad Penny, but now they're going to have to account for him. And, you know, I think that's also a credit to his receivers who, you know, nobody had a standout game. But this is the team that has contributors now. Cahill Waring only had one catch as, as the tight end, but it was a big one. It was 42 yards. You know, David Wells only had one catch, but it was the big touchdown that, basically sealed the game for the Aztecs. And then Michael Holder Dude. finally showing up too after not being like, what was he number three receiver for being a couple of redshirt freshmen each week on the depth chart? He's showing up again, second straight week. Yeah. So I think that is going to make San Diego state very dangerous in the long run. Like Christian Chapman has a track record now where he's a guy who can go out and make plays within the system. And obviously, you know, there's still a long way to go, you know, but you know, San Diego State's in the top 20 now in the AP poll, and that, I think, is a credit to Rocky Long and the rest of the offense. And I've said this for a while, like how much I've kind of, people say, dissed on the Aztecs quarterback, which I have a bit. I've said if they could have a throwing game, like, because they don't need, the thing is, like you said, they don't need him to go 20 of 30 in a game and 350 yards. They need him to do, like I said, if he can get to 20 attempts per game and play well, like he has five TDs, one interception, Leads the conference in quarterback rating. He's uh what top? He's doing okay in passing yards per game, completion rate, um, yards per attempt, all that stuff is really good. He's number two in yards per attempt. I've always said if they could have a good passing attack, they would be very difficult to stop, and they're very difficult to stop because they know they can now pass and they have the receivers to show for it. And really quick, um, Richard Penny has um. 198 more yards than uh, Heisman favorite Saquon Barkley. Just saying. It's pretty good. And, um, oh, yeah, and a couple of good special teams runs, including the touchdown. So, 
Oh yeah, he had three touchdowns again. No big deal. And see, who's gonna be player of the week? Is it him again? Maybe I had thrown Colton Gerhardt out there, but it honestly wouldn't shock me if it were Penny again. I mentioned uh, uh, Kent Myers, four mm-hmm. four total TDs and about two hundred seventy total yards. I think those are the only options, really. I would say. Yeah, that sounds about right. All right, we've talked a long time for the amount of games we have. Final game of the night, which went to overtime. Hawaii and Wyoming for the – apparently people freaked out when they knew there's a trophy on the line for this game. A lot, yeah, where have they been? A lot of Twitter action late in the game. I'm like, where have you guys been? Here's a trophy. It's been around for a while. It was actually lost for some point, and then they had to make a new one. That's <laughs> how you know it's a good trophy. Yeah, bring it back from the dead. Zombie trophy. So here's a question I have for you. Mm-hmm. Did Wyoming win this game or did Hawaii lose it? <sighs> Went to overtime. Not a lot of points. Um, I don't know, Josh. I'm looking. I'm, I'm just fixated on Josh Allen's poor stat line of nine of nineteen for another sub 100 passing game. But then again, I see. Hey, maybe they found a running back in Trey Woods, 135 yards. Who on ESPN's um, stat sheet lists him as linebacker. Hmm. I, I'd say Hawaii lost a game. Can I go with that, Mark? For the way their offense played, they should not. This game should not have been this close. They had chances in this game to really seize momentum at certain points. Like, and one thing that sticks out to me in particular is Drew Brown's first interception. And if you look at what he did as a you know, you know, on the whole, you know, he was pretty good. I think all things considered, you know, twenty nine of 40, 208 yard, two hundred eighty yards, excuse me, and a touchdown. But that first interception that he threw to Andrew Wingard was a brutal decision. Yeah, that's not what you want, is it? No, and I mean, obviously, the you know the second one was you know in overtime, and you know you can't really blame him too much for that. Um, but I mean, because you could see that they had playmaking ability again in this game. You know, John Ursua again had a very good game. He had the fifty-yard touchdown catch and run where he looked like the fastest guy on the field for a brief moment. Yeah. You know, he, he had over 100 yards. You know, Josme St. Just had a very good game. You know, he had 120 yards. But, I mean, not only the interception, but there was the big kickoff return that Wyoming had as well. Somebody had said on, on Twitter that they may have gotten away with a block in the back during that kickoff return. Maybe. Did you happen to see that play? I had it muted. I remember seeing. No, I did see the play. I didn't pay that close attention because I think I had it on. Uh, I was kind of fast forwarding, trying to catch up. I did see the play. I don't. I didn't look at that closely closely to see if there was any penalty on the kick return. Because I went back and I watched. Because I saw someone mention it, and I didn't know if it was kind of like sour grapes or people grumbling about home field advantage in Laramie or whatever. Mm-hmm. So I went back because I had seen it live and I went back and I watched it like 12 times and I had a hard time seeing like what they were looking for. Did they say where they may have seen it or what was it? Assuming typically right near the uh, cluster when he first gets the ball, right? I mean, I'm not totally sure. It may, and they may also have been referring to that long punt return that Austin Conway had. Let's see. I'm watching the play right now. Let's take a quick look here. Got the kick on the bottom side of the field. Oh, I see where they're talking about, maybe. If you watch the play, okay, you got number 52. Uh, about, if you have the... Uh, it, 
Maybe. Is the shoulder considered the back? The side of the shoulder? I mean, I don't know, man. That's really ticky-tacky. That's, really that's what I mean. Call that. Like, I, I see right here. I'm watching it. He takes it down. It's about the 20-yard line. And here's the thing. The returner, Hall, was about... The guy wasn't in place to make a tackle either. So had it been closer, I could see it. And sometimes refs call it because there was a play in the Air Force San Diego State game. They called a defensive holding call. Do <laughs> you remember seeing that? Like early on, like a defensive holding call on the line of scrimmage or something like that on a big play for the Aztecs? Or I forget. It was some weird defensive holding on the line. Like not, not a cornerback holding a receiver, but like a defensive lineman called for defensive holding. But I see where they can make the call. It's about, if you watch the play, it's about the nine-second mark. I'm on ESPN's uh, review or recap, whatever. It's about the 25-yard line. Yeah, the guy falls down to push on the side, but that guy was nowhere near the vicinity to make a tackle, I don't think. So maybe technically, but here's the thing. Like, I ref stuff before. Like, I okay, it's only water polo I ref. Here's the thing. If there's a play, like, if there's going to be a penalty called, let, I'll keep it simple. If there's a, a potential goal happening, like, say there's a fast break, one-on-none or something, and I'm looking back by the other end of the pool and there's stuff going on, I will let the play go. If the guy doesn't score, yeah, I would call penalty because that affected the play somehow. But this didn't affect the play at all. I still got a touchdown. Had the guy been really close and pushed him that way, the flag probably would have been thrown. But if you're not going to make the play or not near the play, why call the penalty? Why impact the game when that guy had no way to impact the play himself? So that's my – I see where they could have called it, but even then it's questionable because it's the side of the shoulder. Where, where, when, where does the back – when does the front begin when you're at the shoulder? I mean, I think another thing that might have played a factor in this game was the fact that, again, Hawaii may have shot themselves in the foot a couple of times in penalties. And I think this has been kind of thematic for this team this year where they had 10 penalties for 96 yards – and on the season right now, they rank 123rd nationally in, in total penalties, you know, on both sides of the football. Man. So for as for as, as much as the offense is producing, which, you know, make no mistake, the offense is pretty good and it's gonna make them a factor in the in the in the West race, I think. But they're gonna have to be able to figure you know, they're gonna have to figure out a way to clean it up because there you can only get away with that for so long. And if you end up with a couple of, you know, one score games exactly like this one when all is said and done, you you might be looking back at the end of the year wondering woulda, coulda, shoulda if you let those opportunities get away from you too often. Oh, definitely. That's, yeah, they, I know they get the interceptions, but the offense moves fine. But look in the first half, UMass, they had what, eight of nine penalties in the first half. They they just got to clean things up and they could have beat Wyoming in this game. They're on the road. They, Josh Allen has another terrible game. And I can I be tired of the Josh Allen hype? Can I be done with it? Can I be done with it and say he's not a good quarterback? Can I say that? I don't care. Hey, I'm 6'4", 225. Can I get in the NFL if I could throw the ball 30 yards? I probably could throw a football 30 yards. I'm about the same size as Josh Allen. Can I get scouts to come watch me throw in the backyard? I'm just saying. Size and arm strength have to you have to have, you have, to have production at some point. And, and, and I get, I did see times in this game, receivers weren't helping him out. Like, there are a couple drops that could that shouldn't have happened. But again, I want to see production. People were saying in the Oregon game, oh, they had to run the ball or they got away from it because they were whatever the blowout. 
fine. You're playing Hawaii. Not no disrespect to Hawaii, but that's not Oregon. It's not Iowa. What is Wyoming going to do when they play Boise State's defense if they turn things around? What are they going to do if they play Air Force defense, which is vastly improved, or Colorado State, who's very good at creating turnovers? What are they going to do? I'm. People can't say just because you're a big guy and a big arm. Jamarcus Russell, huge arm, big guy. He put up stats, flamed out in the NFL because he's fat, essentially, and ate his contract. <laughs> but I'm tired of it. He's not a good quarterback right now. Well, I mean, you're absolutely right. Like, if you look at the qualified quarterbacks in the conference so far, as far as quarterback rating, he's ninth out of 10. And, you know, his completion percentage has actually gone down from last year. He's only averaging 54.8 completion percentage, where last year he had 56. I think right now there's no bigger X factor for how the conference race is going to unfold than Josh Allen. Because if he can get better at least a little bit, like if this, especially if this offense continues to coalesce, because as you said, they might have a running back now in Trey Woods. And that, I think, makes a significant difference. But he's going to have to improve his accuracy a little bit. And he's going to have to find, you know, receivers down the field a little bit in the same way that he did last year. You know, but I think at this point, it is fair to question whether or not he's going to be able to do that consistently. Yeah, C.J. Johnson, did he play? Because he's not showing up at the box score. He did not. Okay, my mistake then. Okay. But they got James Price back, and they were thinking he would make a big, big, he did have a touchdown on that 25-yarder, but only one reception. And if you saw that play, if you saw that throw, that's the kind of thing I'm talking about. If he can do that consistently, that makes Wyoming a very dangerous team. The problem is that we've seen him be more erratic more often than not. And we've seen him be composed and be able to make that kind of, you know, accurate throw. I mean, and it kind of reminds me of anybody who watched, you know, the Penn State-Iowa game this week. If you saw that throw that Trace McSorley made to as time expired to give Penn State the win. Those are the kinds of throws I'm thinking about. Like throws, not necessarily in the clutch, but just like precise and making the most of the tools that he has. And on that overtime throw to seal the win for Wyoming, you know, if he could do that more often, but that's going to give them their best chance of defending the division title. They play Texas State next week. Yes. If he does not turn it around, I'm done with him. Okay. It's, it's fair to say because I get it. Like there's only only so many times I could say, "Show me something. Give me give me a hundred yards." Is a hundred yards too much to ask for for a quarterback? No. They play Texas State. They get Utah State. Who knows what what they are really? Maybe he'll go off and get them. But I want to see him throw for 300 yards versus Texas State. He has to. I don't think he's the kind of quarterback who's ever going to throw for 300 yards, mostly because this is not the kind of offense that really wants him to do that. Okay, let's really quick, because this has already been 90 minutes. We're going way too long here, but I got things to say. Last year, you're right, he didn't have a 300-yard 300 yard game. Can I get 250? Two, can I get two? He had one, sorry, UNLV. Can I get 225? Because last year he had, really quick, above 225, NIU, Eastern Michigan, uh, Boise, Utah State, UNLV, San Diego State, he had 282. 248 twice, um, New Mexico and Aztecs again. I want him to have 250 and at least two touchdowns. 
I think we're kind of seeing a common theme among quarterbacks in the conference, among those who, at least in the early going, have been asked to put a lot on their shoulders, you know, because, you know, whether their offenses have been forced to be one-dimensional or something like that. To me, it's the defining line, at least for right now. You know, on one side, you have guys like Christian Chapman and Nick Stevens, who have been mostly pretty successful in the early going. And, you know, I'll throw Drew Brown in that category as well. And on the other hand, you have guys like Brett Rippon and Josh Allen and whatever's going on at Nevada and whatever's going on at San Jose State. I think that, you know, that kind of makes the Mountain West race unpredictable. And I think that there is potential in all of those situations to resolve themselves in a positive way. But I guess we'll have to find out and you know see how the games play. All right, right now we're going to wrap this up really quick. We're a third conference plays basically getting going in full swing next week. Who is your team in the Mountain Division? Because we know the West is San Diego State. Well, I had Colorado State going into the year, and I don't like to deviate from my predictions if I don't have to, so I'm sticking with the Rams. Okay. Same here. I'm going with the Rams here. Just curious. So that's our show. Dang, we went 90 minutes with – we had a lot to say. Boise State, Wyoming, Air Force, San Diego State. A lot of stuff to talk about. So thank you for listening. If you made it this far, um, let us know. We'd like to know if you listened to the entirety of the show. We can kind of see when people bail out, and we'd like a smaller percentage of that if possible. <laughs> Why not? I don't I don't want 10% leaving or 20% or sometimes 38% I'm looking at right here. Here's the thing. Listen to our show, Blog Talk Radio, Tune In Radio, um, iTunes, Stitcher. Give us a review. That helps us out a lot. Heck, if you want to check out our sponsor page, give us a few bucks there. Sign up for free. Um, I think we had somebody sign up for our Acorns account to give us like five bucks. That's cool. Thank you. Very nice. Acorns, what that is really quick, if you don't know, I'll have our link to our um, all of our sponsors and stuff. But here's the thing. Basically, you invest your extra change. Free money to retirement i've saved thousands of dollars giving up my 25 cents from a 75 cent candy bar at the grocery store not that i've done it myself i've done it myself in the past acorns and it's great if you're looking for a way to make some or at least save for some guacamole money in the future that's a perfect way to do it it is and really quick when i was had my surgery for two months that two thousand dollars worked as a great savings to help me out i wasn't working so and i didn't miss the money one bit when it's 10 cents here 40 cents here just saying we appreciate whoever signed up under that it's great but that's our show for tonight enough shilling for money even though we appreciate it thank you um mwcwire.com check us out on twitter mwcwire facebook all that fun stuff that's our show we'll be back next week for our latest uh preview show also really quick um, just because me and eli betker started doing basketball we'll have a couple of basketball shows as well so if your feed gets flooded a bit more than normal that's why we had air force boise state in the books uh, sometime this week so hoops is here football is here everything's going great and i think we're good right matt anything else to add i believe we're all set you're right and we are biased against your uh, team folks <laughs>